Now, uh, I have uh, a message from the Lord to share with you. And allow me to begin by giving you the title. Do you want to hear the title first? For those of you writing or who are title-oriented, the message is entitled, A Journey to Lasting Grace. A Journey to Lasting Grace. Grace is a journey, but grace also can be lasting or non-lasting. We are going to see in the few minutes we have a topic called A Journey to Lasting Grace. Before I read the scripture, allow me, in the words God has enabled me to have, to introduce this big, great word called grace. The first time we did our miracle, not miracle, our Bible week, I think on the second day, by the grace of God, we shared on grace. And we agreed during then, for those of you who are not there, you can get the tape, we agreed that grace is not a thing. Grace is a person. This person is Jesus. And we agreed that according to the New Testament, there are three ways to access grace. The first way we see in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that says, let us approach the throne of God boldly, so that we may obtain grace and mercy. So, by approaching the throne of God, we can receive grace. Meaning, through prayer, we can receive grace. But there is another grace we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, where the Bible says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the second way to obtain grace is through humility. Some people are prayerful, therefore there is a certain grace they have upon their lives, while others are prayerful but not humble, meaning there is a certain flavor they do not have. A man can be tall, but a man also can be strong. So the same way grace is a person, he has varieties, if we may say that. He has a flavor. There is a flavor of grace you tap through prayer, but there is a flavor of grace you tap through humility. Praise the Lord. But there is a third level of grace we see in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, and also the same 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. The Bible says, Brethren, grace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning, the more you know Jesus, the more you have deeper knowledge of Jesus, the more you are able to tap grace. It means a man can be prayerful and he receives a flavor of grace. A man can also be humble and he receives a flavor of grace. But if a man wants to see grace multiplied upon his life, he should simply devote himself to knowing Jesus intimately. Those according to my study of scripture, are the three ways of uh, interacting with grace. But this morning, the Lord put in my heart as I waited on him to share about a journey to lasting grace. And to help us go through this journey before I read the scripture, I want to introduce to you some three boys. How many boys? Three boys. There was a boy called Adonijah. There was another one called Absalom, and there was another one called Solomon. All these were candidates for the seat of the throne of Israel. One was qualified because the Bible says he was handsome, and his hair, when it was measured, it could collect several kilograms. He was also full of charisma. The Bible says that he wowed the whole nation and the whole nation came to his side. On the other hand, the man was smart and strategic and he, he took all the commanders plus his father's advisor to his side. Everything that can be called natural was going for Absalom till something happened. The seat he was qualified for could not get to his hands. Another young man came, his name was Adonijah. He was also smart and strategic. And before Solomon knew it, this man had taken all the key, all the, the key officials of the previous regime by his side. And the Bible says they drank and they even made a shout, decreeing Adonijah is king. At the end of the day, 
Something happened. Adonijah never got the kingdom. Then came a man I love. Because his story reminds me of myself. Came a man who was a piece of scandal. His mother had gotten to the throne through the scandal, through the back door. His, his own stepfather had been killed in a scandal. His great-grandfather, who was the advisor to the king, had also committed suicide. His firstborn stepbrother had died because of God's judgment. Everything about this young boy was wrong. And you look at Solomon, you think you are seeing wisdom when he's born. All that surrounded Solomon was a scandal. All that surrounded Solomon was sin. All that surrounded Solomon was blood after blood. Liter after liter of blood was poured before this young boy could be born. Thank God. And like some of us, he knew it. He knew that all that was about him was scandalous. He knew that all that defined him was a piece after piece after page after page of scandal. When he went to that throne, he did not go entitled. He went humbled. I'm about to read their story or their conversation with the Lord to reveal to you how much of the grace of God Solomon bowed to and received. Now we can read our scripture. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 3 from verse 5. The Bible says from verse 5 going down, I believe, to verse 11. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. Underline the word by night. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. Put it in King James version, please. Okay? King James. Authorized to be read in churches. Some of you are reading things that are not authorized. That was just a commercial break. Verse 6. And Solomon said, Thou hast shewed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of art with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness. And I learned the word, Heart. Then the next word underlined there is kindness. Thou hast given him a son, underline the word a son, to sit on his throne as it is this day. Verse 7. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant, underline the word thy servant, king instead of David my father, underline the word my father, and I am but a little child. I don't need to tell you to underline, underline that. Little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Verse 8. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered for or nor counted for multitude. Underline the word, a great people. Verse 9. Give therefore thy servant, the first thing, understanding heart, to judge Thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Verse 10. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Lord, we are running through your word in this short time. Reveal Jesus through this word. And cause us to be transformed from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says the Lord appears to Solomon at night, not during the day. The Lord, you need to understand before we go far, is a master communicator. Everything he does is geared towards exhaustive communication. When the Lord appears through a certain angle, it is intentional. It is never coincidental. When God chooses to appear to somebody by the sea, there is a meaning to that. When he chooses to appear by the river, there is a meaning to that. When he chose to appear to Solomon by night, there was a meaning to that. The Lord did not appear to Solomon during the day, neither did he appear to him when he was surrounded by his generals. The boy was alone at night. Today, the first thing that happens to most of us when we come to a night moment in our lives, we begin to rebuke the darkness rather than facing the Lord. 
And one step of grace is to understand where am I? Before even you know where, who you are, you need to know who are you? And where are you? Because where you are will position you on how you negotiate from that point onwards. There is a way as a Kenyan, when you are in Kenya you can talk. But when you are in another country, there is a way you will talk. There is a way as a Kenyan, you cross the road. But when you go to another country which is not familiar to you, you cross the road. People are a product of how much they know where they are. The first journey to grace is know where you are. Know whether you are walking in the night or whether you are walking in the day. Know whether you are surrounded by enemies or you are surrounded by friends. Know whether you are still young or you are already old. Tell your neighbor, know where you are. I'm reminded of Peter in Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus meets him, he is by the sea. He is not in the temple. He is not in the synagogue. He is by the sea. What do we mean by the sea? By the sea means there was instability. By the sea means there was unpredictability. By the sea means there was uncertainty. Jesus appears to, not even Peter, what was his name by then? Simon Bar Jonah. And Peter did not hurt himself because he was by the sea. Provided Jesus was by that sea, there was going to be stability. And I love what Jesus did with it. Because the Bible says after that, Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. What is the meaning of Peter? Rock. The man who was found by the sea is now a rock. Why was he a rock? He allowed the Lord to come to his sea moment. He allowed the Lord to come into his instability. He allowed the Lord to come into his uncertainty. And as he stood there by the sea and interacted with Jesus, soon the sea became a rock. And I love what Jesus does with this boy. Jesus began to transform him from Simon to Peter, from a fisherman to an apostle, not just an apostle, a chief apostle. We are still coming to more of that. The Bible says now, Solomon is in the dream at night. And the Lord appears to him. Listen to me, dear brother, dear sister. Nothing will make you greater than the appearance you have had from God. No man is greater than the encounter he has had from God. You may have come from a great family or from a, a scandalous family. You may have come from a neighborhood of riches or a neighborhood of poverty. All that is nothing compared to the encounter you will have with the Lord. What you need is an encounter. You don't need an adjustment. You don't need a revision. You don't need an excuse. You don't even need an explanation. You don't even need money. You need an encounter. Pastor Kimani, there were days preachers valued encounters. There were days apostles were apostles because of encounters. There were days prophets were prophets because of encounters. There were days evangelists were evangelists because of encounters. Now we insist they go to college. Now they, we insist they dress this way and they dress that way. We insist they look this way and they look that way. We insist they go to this conference and they go to this seminar. And we are not careful to ask them, have you encountered Jesus? No wonder we are waiting for revival and revival is not happening. Solomon starts his throne with an encounter. The first journey to your grace is your encounter. But before you are encounter, you need to accept where you are. Don't try to fake it. If you are by the sea, don't play the rock. Are you hearing me? Don't play the rock. When you are by the sea, just accept, I am by the sea. But Jesus will change this to a rock. I am by the night, but Jesus will turn this to a morning. Accept where you are. Then your encounter will happen. Now let's go to Solomon, the pastor. The Bible says, And Solomon said, You have shown your servant David, my father, great mercy. A man begins by saying, my father. During those days, they did not know of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They only knew their pedigree. They only knew their ancestry. They only knew their family line. 
Nowadays, family lines are not as critical as heavenly lines. Nowadays, all of us can go to the Father in heaven and say, My Father. Why? Solomon knows he has no experience. He has no CV. He has no military history. He has no, even, even an invention. He has no book he has written. He has no title in the society. All he has is his father. One day, some of you <laughs> will realize all you have is the father in heaven. Till then, write your books, market yourself, promote yourself. Till then, keep posturing and advertising yourself. But one day, <laughs> you will reach where some people I know in this room have reached, where all you have is my father. My father. One day you will reach that point where you thought it was the writing, you thought it was the, it was the qualification, you thought it was the looks, then you discover only the Father, my Father, will save the day. Jesus reached there when he said, my Father, my Father. There are times you repeat it twice because the pain is twice. The confusion is twice. The misery is twice. So you have to repeat it, my father, lest he did not hear you repeat again, my father. Do not wait to be pushed to the wall to reach a point where you are calling the father, not once but twice. Once for yourself and twice for him. Do not reach that point. The second place where you reach in your journey to lasting greatness is when you discover without Jesus, you are nothing. All you have is the Father in heaven. The Lord says in John 15 verse 5, that beside me or without me, you can do nothing. And it comes when a brother discovers, oh, the talent cannot produce it, the charisma cannot produce it, the connections cannot produce it. Only what the Lord enables can produce it. I love it when I read about Jacob in Genesis 32 and 33. Initially, Jacob is busy grabbing things, grabbing birthrights, grabbing titles, grabbing blessings, grabbing even his, father, his brother's heel. He was a grabber. He was just taking and taking, claiming and claiming. In 32, when the boy is now seasoned, when he's no longer now Jacob, but he's almost becoming Israel, the Bible says, Jacob said, these are children God has given thy servant. Previously, I was the one taking. Now, I am just receiving. Previously, I was grabbing. Now, all I can do is to receive. Previously, I was skimming out to get it. Now, I can just sit like a fool, hoping that by the grace of God, I will receive. Jacob was no longer fighting. He was now worshipping. Jacob was no longer skimming. He was now positioning to receive from God. Where are you? Are you wrestling and fighting and skimming and, and scratching? Or have you come to the point where you're like, Lord, if you give, I will receive. I love what John says in John 3, 27, that no man can receive anything unless it is given from heaven. A day comes for a man to receive because he went to the bank. A day comes for a man to receive because he went to a good conference and a good, you know, meeting. But a, a day comes. This same man is transformed and now he realizes Unless I receive from heaven, I cannot have anything. Apart from heaven, I am empty. Solomon says, my father, not my throne, not my kingdom, not my brother or my sister, not even my enemies, my father. Why? David, as we see now in the next explanation of the same scripture, David is the one who has walked before God faithfully. David is the one who has won battles. David is the one who has proved himself to God. Solomon has nothing to prove. And he knows it. I love it when I go before the Father and I tell him, Father, look at your son in whose name I come. Because besides your son, I should not even stand here. 
Many are running from God because they thought they need to carry a flower. They thought they need to carry something that will make sense to God. Yet God has already made the pronouncement. This is my beloved son. I am pleased with no one except him. Solomon goes before God and he says, My father David, he didn't know Jesus, so he could only quote David. But today you cannot quote David because a greater one than David has come. His name is Jesus. A greater one than David has already done it and fought the giant and fought sin. His name is Jesus. So Solomon says, my father has walked before you, blah, blah, blah. All those great things Jesus has done, Solomon begins to claim them before God. And eventually now we see the next verse. Journey to lasting grace. We see, the Bible says, and now, O Lord my God, verse 7, Thou hast made thy servant king instead of David. There are things we need to accept that on this earth we are to do on behalf of Jesus. But we do them not as superior people, but as redeemed people. One day some evangelists came to witness to a certain woman. And they came feeling like we are we have fasted, we have prayed, we are full of fire. This woman must get saved. And they entered there and they began to speak in tongues. And I looked from the window and I say, here goes disaster. And it was disaster. Because the woman who was full of religious spirits took a Bible and began to hit them with it. And to tell them, away from me, you people who speak a gibberish language. They did not go as servants. They went as champions. They went as people who have patented the righteousness that Christ died to give us for free. They were chased like fools from that house. And I know some of you, you approach the Lord in prayer, you approach even your potential employees or a potential spouse with an entitled approach. Change it. My brother John, a kingdom is made of, I mean, a throne is made of gold. And it is ready for a man to sit on it. The man is not in a hurry to sit on it. The man in his mind still says, I am but a servant. I am not a noble. I am not a king. I am not even a prince. I am a servant. The way up is the way down. The way to greatness is the way to think of yourself less. I get scared when a man bangs the door or the table and says, do you know this is my house? Do you know this is my, this is mine? And when you put yourself in the center, the Lord Jesus must step aside to allow you now to manage your show. Solomon enters the throne as a servant. Absalom was not a servant. Absalom was a prince. The Bible talks about his heir. The Bible talks of his celebrity image. No wonder he missed it. And Solomon got it. One thing that the Lord told me when I was praying for a certain leader whose name I, was, I won't mention. The Lord told me he is on that seat because at least him, I can manage him. I can approach him. At least with his weaknesses, he still has a small door that can allow me to come in. There's another one who's feeling justified. He feels, you know, entitled to sit on that seat. If I put him there, the door to me accessing him will be closed. Brethren, your weakness can be your strength. If you use it, well. And your strength can be your weakness if you don't use it. Well, sometimes the fact that you know too much does not allow the Lord now to teach you. Sometimes the fact that you are too perfect does not allow the Lord to perfect you. Solomon comes in as a servant, and by the time he's done, he's the greatest king who ever lived in Israel. Moving on to our journey to lasting grace, we see something here. And I am but a little child. Two kings before Solomon, the first one was Saul, then there was David. 
One of them was told, when you were but little in your eyes, did I not bless you and make you king over my people? The Lord loves it when we are little in our eyes. The Lord loves it when people do not feel they got what it takes. The Lord loves it when people are children. In fact, he promised us in the book of John, the kingdom belongs to children. To be a child means to be dependent. A child cannot walk on his own. He must be guided. A child cannot feed himself. He must be fed. A child cannot even clothe himself. He must be clothed. Everything about a child belongs to somebody else. I can say with all humility in my heart, everything I am wearing here, somebody gave to me. Everything. Even this one. Even, even this watch. Even this coat. Even this pen I was given. And the day I have given myself, may the Lord have mercy on me, because I will be departing from grace. A day comes, even your physical attire, even the food you ate on that table, even the door you opened when you came to church, you say, Lord, without you giving it to me as a child, I will not have it. When you go to that level, you have begun to perfect your journey to lasting grace. It means the grace you begin to walk in that moment is a perfect grace. It is a lasting grace. It is a permanent grace. Solomon is a child. But Saul and Absalom and the rest whom God rejected were not children. They were qualified professionals who deserved that job. But Solomon was a child. The Lord told me to rub it a bit in this thing called a child. Because in this is the kingdom. When people can crack this thing called a child, they have already entered into the glory of the kingdom. I've said a child needs to be helped. One day some of you will learn the meaning of help. And when you learn that meaning in your heart, I tell you the truth, you will nail it in the place of greatness. Several places the Bible talks about this word called help. One place that allows me, allow me now to devere a bit is in Acts chapter 16 from verse 8 going down to verse around 20. The Bible says, a man stood in verse 8 of Acts 16 verse 8. A man stood before Saul, I mean Paul the apostle. Paul saw him in a vision and he said, hey, come and help us. A man in Macedonia said, come and help us. A day will come Pastor Kimani, when men will stand in the spiritual realm and even in the natural realm and say, help us. I am here because I was helped. I am here not because I did an interview. I was helped. A woman held my hand and uh, led me to a man who held my hand, who led me to his wife who held my hand, and together they led me to this church. I stand here because I was helped. A day will come Men will learn to say, help. And when, after they have been helped, they will show gratitude. A man stands in a vision, and he tells Paul, come and help us. The Bible says it was Macedonia, out of which we find the Philippian church. One of the greatest churches Paul ever planted. But remember, the foundation of this church carried one word, help. Apostle Paul, Pastor Kimani, comes there now in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8 and he meets a church that is so much excited about his ministry. Why? Before they were excited about Paul, they remembered their beginning. Their beginning was help. Their beginning was not come here and do what we want. The beginning was we are in need. Come and help us out. Do you know some of the reason why people are playing around with God? is because they have not been helped. The reason why people are taking the Lord and His work and His servant so casually is because they have not been helped. They have been promoted. Others have been hired. Others have been, have been, have been done a favor. But few in their hearts, Mama Mwai, have been helped. 
No wonder they can come and give conditions about how a man of God should do his job and how the church of God can be, should be conducted and how people should sit and how people should dress. No wonder they are so entitled because they were not helped. The Philippians were helped. Paul says when he came to them, he was moved by how much they were ready to give to their breath because these people were grateful. These people were broken. These people were not coming to, you know, check the apostle out, whether he was fluent or not fluent, whether he was married or not married. They were coming to say, thank you. The help you brought us has made us to be Christians. But listen to me. Paul goes to this city and three things happened that were disastrous. Number one, he saw a man in a vision, but when he arrived, the same chapter 16 says, he met women. The women, number one, were selling. They were selling by the riverside. Imagine you are a pastor, you hear God, you see visions, and God shows you in a vision, you are going to meet a man. You arrive and you meet women. Then after that, the Bible says, he met another damsel, according to my King James. I love King James. Damsel. There were days girls were damsels. Eh? Damsel. God have mercy on me. Damsel. He met a damsel. And this damsel is literally running the city with a divination. So, once again, there is no man, only a woman. Then after that, damsel. And the Bible says, Paul rebuked this spirit from this damsel. And before he knew it, he was beaten, then thrown to prison. Now listen to me. When a man is saying, help us, it means there is trouble. The social and the spiritual order of the city is upside down. It is the women with the economic power. Man is crying, help us. It is women, not even women, a damsel with the spiritual power. No wonder men are saying in the spiritual realm, come and help us. So Paul arrives and he finds a woman selling, a woman controlling the banks, a woman controlling the industries, a woman controlling the, the, the economy. And he says in his heart as an apostle, full of wisdom, no wonder I saw in the spirit, a man was saying, come and help us. He finds a damsel with a python spirit, which was the spirit of divination. A python spirit, which is the spirit of divination, knows how to whisper good things to the flesh and to ensnare you and to destroy you. No wonder Paul was almost destroyed after dealing with this little damsel, but it was showing women as young as this woman was controlling the spiritual realm. Pastor Kimani, after a few years, after being beaten and his scars healing, he walks into this church. And the people see an apostle who took beatings for them. The men see the man who did not give up on their plight. And all they can do, as we are about to read in Acts chapter 8, I mean in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, they gave out of their poverty. They gave till all that was now moving them to give was grace. Grace does not come forgiving just because you are having plenty. Grace comes forgiving when all you have is no longer your pocket, but your heart, which is full of gratitude. The day people will be grateful for where God has taken them from. The day people will be grateful for the servants of God who have helped them, who have cried with them. That day, they will no longer give because they have something in their pocket. They will give because they have something in their hearts. I'd rather receive even a chewing gum from your heart than $10,000 from your pocket. No wonder Jesus looks at these people giving and they are giving from their pocket. But there was a woman who came with her heart and her life and she put it in that box. The journey of grace happens when we no longer push you to give but you push yourself. Not just to give your substance, but to give your very soul, your very body, your very time, your very existence. You give it to a God who has been so good to you. The Macedonian church, out of where we find the book of Philippi, 
Philippi was like the main trading center of Macedonia. And out of this Philippians church, we hear the words like, my God shall supply all your needs. Now, pastor, do you now realize why a lot of people are quoting Philippians and nothing is happening? A lot of people are saying, it is written in Philippians chapter 4, my God shall supply. And no, there is no supply. Why is there no supply? Because the background providing that scripture has not been placed in its place in their lives. The Philippian people were grateful people. They were broken people. They were people who were saying, Lord, if it was not this apostle, today the python could still be ruling us. Out of this gratitude, we give our own self. We give our own body. And as they were excited about giving, the Bible says, God promised through the apostle to supply not some of their needs, but all of their needs. Philippians chapter 4 comes after Acts chapter 16. Moving on to Solomon. We shall be back to Philippians a bit. Verse 8. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen. A great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Before I read verse 9, Allow me just to read then, because of time. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart, and I the word heart, to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge these so great a people. The next step we see in grace is understanding the greatness of the assignment. Paul, not Paul, Solomon mentions the word great people twice. Many people want to lead, but they are leading people who are inferior to them. Are you hearing me? They are leading people who do not deserve to be led by them. They are leading people who are a nuisance to them. They are leading people who are bothering them. According to Solomon, the people were greater than him. The book of Acts started with what we call souls. It didn't start with a committee. It didn't start with politicians, it started with souls. In Acts chapter 3, we see the word 3,000 souls. In Acts chapter 4, I believe, we see the word 5,000 souls. The book of Acts was a book of souls. Before the miracles, there were souls. Before there was revival, there were souls. If you want God to show you greatness, if you want God to show you revival, if you want God to give you resources, understand his heartbeat. His heartbeat is called Solomon does not quote the enemies. He does not quote the needs of the people. He does not even quote the future he wants to have. He does not even quote his needs, whether they are physical or spiritual. He only quotes souls. And according to him, these were not just souls. These were great souls. And he mentions it twice. Thy great people. Thy great people. And when Peter began his ministry together with the apostles, it was souls, souls, souls. Not project, project, project. No, souls. Before there were projects, there were souls. Before there was a temple of Solomon, there were great people of Solomon. You can never walk in long-lasting grace if you do not understand the cost of souls. No wonder people can just abuse and walk away. No wonder people can just spit on the ground to their fellow humanity and walk away. No wonder they can organize crime and murder and walk away and they are wondering after that, why is God not blessing us or blessing my regime or blessing my leadership? Because you have not understood that before the temple and the palace, there are souls. Many are quick to build palaces. Many are quick to build great buildings, great structures, but they forget souls. Many are quick to have their children perform, but they forget before these children are performers, they are first souls. Before this wife of mine knows how to cook, she is first of all a soul. Solomon begins to beg God, please, before you build me this temple, before you build me this great palace, I pray for these souls. 
Without them, there is no temple. Without them, the palace is just a museum. Without these great people, the throne I will sit on is just a monument. It has no real meaning. And I challenge you, my friend, you who wants to see great grace in your life, begin to understand how important souls are. They may be young souls, they may be old souls, they may be sinful souls, but a soul is a soul. And that is one lesson I'm learning in ministry, even as I continue to walk with the Lord, that I owe the Lord souls. I owe the Lord the language of souls. I owe the Lord the transaction of souls. If I need to see the blessing, thy great people comes to times. One day, maybe it will be today, Two people will begin to really cry for souls. Two people, or three, or ten, will begin to genuinely cry for souls. And before they are finished crying, heaven will come down. Maybe it could be today, Pastor. Maybe it could be next week. That we no longer see people as spouses. We no longer see people as our children. We no longer see people as our friends. We see them as souls. That day when it comes, I can guarantee you, heaven will come down. Solomon did something that preachers have misquoted. Solomon did not go to God, Pastor Joe, and say, Give me wisdom. No. Have we read of it there? No. He asked, number one, for a heart. Before you are wise, do you have a heart? And the Lord answers him in, verse, in chapter 4, I believe, verses 29, King James Version. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon did not ask for wisdom, he asked for her heart. Now, listen to me. A large heart will produce large wisdom. A small heart will produce small wisdom. Because wisdom is carried in your heart. What do I mean wisdom is carried in your heart? Wisdom is a man. We read it during the Bible week, the first Bible week we did in this church. Wisdom is a man. His name is Jesus. He says in Proverbs chapter 8, Wisdom cries, wisdom begs, he walks on the street saying, Who will welcome me? Because he says in the same Proverbs chapter 8, By me kings govern, by me they rule. Kings cannot govern without seeing. Kings need the Lord. And this Lord they need as wisdom is Jesus. So when we say a man needs a large heart before he can have large wisdom, it means your heart for Jesus must be so large before the dimension of Jesus you touch as wisdom has really increased. Listen to me. The Bible says the largeness of Solomon's heart was like the sand on the seashore. I grew next to the sea, Mama Mwai. All my boyhood I spent by the sea. We were like 100 meters from the sea in Mombasa. And one thing I noticed about the sea, Mamamua, is that the sea has a way of receding and coming and going and coming. But when it reaches the shore, that is the end of its nonsense. Are you hearing me? The Lord gives Solomon what we call end of nonsense. Meaning people could come with their issues, they feel like they are going to die when they meet Solomon. All that ends because the heart of Solomon was so large to accommodate any nonsense, to accommodate any fool, to accommodate any weakness. Largeness of heart will be proved by how much of the waves of the sea you are able to stop. They come feeling grumpy, they come feeling entitled, they come feeling they know it all, and you look at them with a smile and you say, Jesus loves you. They come with their emotional mood swings and whatever the scientists call it and they come feeling like they want to kill the whole world and they reach your presence and they are melted by the largeness of your heart. Not the largeness of thy mouth. Because, Pastor Kimani, when wisdom is lacking in the heart, the mouth will try to mitigate the emptiness. Anytime, my brother, you find you are talking too much, it's because your heart is becoming smaller and smaller. Therefore, it is pushing your mouth to be bigger and bigger. 
and I'm not throwing stones because I too am a man of like passions. Solomon has a large heart. With this largeness of heart, grace can now be given to him to endure despite of his weaknesses on the throne. I want to finish. We need to be prosperous. It is a common message preached by the church. We need to be successful. It is a common message preached by the current church. But let me tell you something. Before Solomon was rich, he was first of all wise. Before Solomon was wise, he first of all had a large heart. Before Solomon had a large heart, he first of all had a large prayer. Do I repeat it? Before Solomon was rich, he first of all was wise. Before Solomon was wise, he had a large heart. Before Solomon had a large heart, he had a large prayer. When he went before God, he did not say, Oh Lord, look at my neighborhood. Oh Lord, look at my clothes. Oh Lord, look at my bills. He went before the Lord and he said, Look at your great people. His prayer was not small prayer. His prayer was a large prayer. Out of the largeness of prayer came a largeness of art. Sometimes you may be feeling all stupid and all selfish till you pray and prayer begins to clear the debris from your heart. Some hearts are as small as the prayers that are yet to stretch them. Sometimes don't condemn yourself when your heart is feeling stupid. Just go and pray. Go to the presence of God and one day with the Lord will turn your small one day to a thousand years of wisdom, a thousand years of blessing, a thousand years of greatness. Solomon prayed, then he had a heart. And after a heart, he had wisdom. After wisdom, he had prosperity. All this was done because of the people. All this was done because of his assignment. I want to ask you this morning, even as we have begun the year, what is your assignment? What is your mission? What are you up to? Are you busy buying tomatoes and onions to feed your family and that is all you are living for? Are you busy protecting your ego and that is all you are doing with the salvation Christ has given you? What is your mission? Is your mission large? And how large is it to push you to prayers of tears and sweating? There's a man I love. I want to use him because he's so... Tim, come. Let's do what we did on Sunday. Get him the two shots. Let's do something as I prepare to finish. How large is your mission? Greater grace is given for greater mission. Lesser grace is given for lesser mission. Just stand there. It was on Friday as she gets the shawl. I saw something when I was waiting on the Lord. The Lord came in my room and he took me to the spiritual realm and showed me something I've never seen. I saw two large creatures. No, one large creature and a small creature before my face. And these creatures were so large. And one that was large was walking slowly because the weightier you are naturally, the slower you will become. Okay? I'm not throwing stones on those who are weightier. It is a blessing. Even me, my friends keep pushing me to add weight. And I'm doing something about it. Now, the weightier creature was moving very slowly. And when it went past the gates, it was so tired, it sat on the back seat. I want you to stretch this shawl. One of them. Just stretch it. I want to show you something. So this creature was this big. Okay? So it kept moving very slowly. And it couldn't go very far. Because it was tired. It was carrying a lot. So it sat on the back seat of the throne of God. That heavenly place where people go. It sat down. Then... That's it. But keep your largeness visible. Then there was a smaller creature that also stood there. Come, my brother. 
I'm using visible objects. <laughs> Don't even spread this, but put it diagonal like this to make it look smaller. Okay? The smaller creature, show it to them. I tell you to be, to be, yes, put it like this. The smaller creature was this thin, it was like water. And it moved so fast, so fast, and it went through the door, and it went right to the throne. And it collapsed on the throne. So, collapsed by faith. <laughs> God bless you. Good. And I began to ask the Lord, what am I seeing in the heaven? I usually see angels. Today I'm seeing creatures. He told me, come close. And I came close. Friday morning at around 2, 3 a.m. And the Lord told me, this, as you can see, are souls. This is a large soul. This is a very small soul. This large soul is large because all the blessings I gave it while it was on earth, it did not give away. It retained it. Now it is in heaven, so rich till it is poor. Now it is in heaven, so heavy till it cannot ascend the mountain to the glory. No wonder it has to collapse by the door. It cannot move. This one came empty. This one was given gifts and it used it. This one was given opportunities. It used it. This one was given a chance. It used all the chances. All the relationships that it was given, it has used. Now it is lighter. It can travel the journey. It can move to their glory and reach the pinnacle. Then suddenly the Lord Jesus stood up. Now, imagine you are the Lord Jesus. And you are standing up. And then I saw the cross. Just make the illustration of the cross. And a voice told me, look at what is on this cross. And I counted, but there were only two things, Pastor Kimani. There was what we call fragments of flesh and bones. And I looked for blood. There was no blood. I looked for water. You know, the, the body has water. There was no water. I even looked for sweat. The sweat had dried up. I looked for anything like necklace, and I'm not condemning necklaces, and watches, even me have a watch, there was no watch, there was no necklace, there was no blood, there was no water. Only flesh and bones. And the Lord told me, tell my people when you preach on Sunday, I want them to take their crosses and give the world four things. By the way, on this cross as he hung there, there was no prayer. Prayer ended in John 17. There was no more sweat. Sweat ended in Gethsemane. There was no blood. Blood came out. There was no more life in this man. There was no water. There was no appetite. All that was to be given, this man gave. And he told me, till they take up their crosses, they will arrive in glory. So fat, they will sit in the back. As I finish, the journey to lasting grace will end when you understand the cross. What is your blood? Your blood is your life, your personality, your likes and your dislikes, your color pink and your color blue. Those little things call your life. That is your blood. When you reach glory, don't reach glory with them. Every day is an opportunity to remove that blood. Every day is an opportunity to remove that sweat. What is that sweat? Like now I'm sweating. I'm sweating on somebody's pulpit. And I wish I had more opportunities to sweat. Because tomorrow, I don't want to arrive in that place of glory. Carrying anything. Like my sweat. All my sweat, I have to put it down here. All my blood, I have to release it out. All the water, all my appetite, I have to drain it for the sake of the Lord Jesus. The journey to lasting greatness will happen when we take our cross and we release our blood. We release our life for the greater good. The Bible says, you are great people. The Lord has great people. These people must be greater than you if you are going to sacrifice anything for them. These people must be worthier than you, holier than you. Oh, Christ of God. Some people came to church. 
They came to church entitled. They came to church feeling worthy. They came to church feeling like the seat must be wiped before they come to church. Others, like some people who might know, feel they do not even deserve to come to church. So every time the door is opened, they want to take the best of the opportunity. Others want to take the best of the chance they are given because they know very well, I do not deserve to be here. Grace will not happen just because you pray about it. You have to provoke it. Oh, let me finish with Solomon, Pastor Kimani. Just five more minutes. I'll be good. Solomon begins as a little boy. Blessed and loved by the Lord. The Bible says his name, the other name was Jedida, meaning beloved of the Lord. When he finished, he had a thousand wives and 20 million idols or whichever number there were. He finished full while he should have finished empty. And the man kept accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. By the time he was old, he was tired. Oh, Pastor Kimani, when he started off, he did not have to fight any battle. The Lord was his soldier. The Lord was his warrior. The Lord fought all his battles. But the more he accumulated and he became insecure, the more he had to run and fight battles that were not easy to fight. How many battles are you fighting? How many battles should you not be fighting? Empty people have nothing to defend. Empty people have nothing to fight for. All they have is the opportunity they look forward to releasing and releasing and releasing. By the time this man was done, this Solomon guy, he had a thousand wives. And if there was a stress meter, I would say he was at 100% of stress. He was tired. By the time he's writing Ecclesiastes, you see somebody frustrated with the life. But when he began, he was a worshiper. When he finished, he was a politician. Journey to long-lasting grace. You must begin it. And keep your eye on the prize. The prize is the Lord Jesus. You must keep your eye on the prize. The prize is the throne. The prize is the Calvary. The cross of Calvary. Where all blood is no longer blood. Oh my mamai. Christ, I wish I had 20 hours. This man dies. And he's so light. A rich man who does not even go to the gym was able to carry him to his tomb. Why? There was no water in his belly. There was no blood in his bones. All he had was flesh. And the flesh had been removed. So there were less cages on his body. That is how great people die. They don't die with this fanfare and instructions and all these insecurities. They die till even the weakest can carry them. You're that person feeling you like to trouble light. Just let the Lord know that. Just lift up your hand to him. I'm not asking you to come forward. I'm one of those that feel, Lord, I want to travel light. I don't want to get heaven. I'm so tired because I carried everything that you gave me on earth. But I never shared the grace, the love, oh Lord, and the wisdom that you released into my heart. But I kept everything for myself. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. You've spoken to me today. You've opened my eyes. And I can see that all that I have is a gift from you. There is nothing that I possess that you did not give me. Lord, I start by giving my heart to you. I start by giving my heart to you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, take it for yourself. For Lord, I belong to you. I don't belong to myself. And Lord Jesus... You have blessed me with wisdom. You blessed me with knowledge. You blessed me with, with skills, Lord. I repent for the times that I've used it for myself and not for others. Lord, I pray that from today you'll help me to understand the skills that I have are meant to help others. The knowledge that I have is meant to help others. Lord Jesus, help us to share what you've given us. The resources, the money that you have given us, the properties that we have, oh God. Lord Jesus, 
many times you speak to us to release just a portion of it. Lord, we are not ready to do so. Today, you are speaking to us. Help us not to hold on to things, but to be able to release them to you. So that God, at the end of the day, we can gain everything. Lord, I pray that you help your people. You've spoken to us today. We have heard your word, Lord Jesus. It has come to us. All of us have something to surrender to you. We surrender our lives and our hearts. We give up everything. To you, Jesus, we surrender.